This is The Lydia Project, conversations with Christian women. Our name is inspired by the life-changing conversation that Lydia had with Paul, recorded in Acts 16. On this podcast, you'll hear from a variety of women whose lives have also been impacted by the truth of the gospel. Your hosts, Tori Walker and Taryn Hayes, hope that you too will be challenged and inspired by how the gospel truths are being worked out in the lives of their guests, ordinary women who serve an extraordinary God. Today, your host is Taryn Hayes. Welcome back to The Lydia Project. I'm Taryn Hayes. Today, I'll be chatting with Linda Poole. Now, Linda and her family currently call Tassie their home, but she has spent a fair amount of time in other parts of the world, including a number of years in Yo in South Sudan, where she and her husband served as missionaries. Today, Linda spends two days a week working as a member care and development facilitator for Pioneers Australia, which is the missionary organization that sent them to South Sudan. It's a job she loves deeply, but she considers her primary ministry to be mum to her three kids, and in this chat, we talk about how God continues to work even in the more mundane aspects of life. Linda's story of God's faithfulness, even in her current struggle with physical pain, is both challenging and encouraging, especially as she speaks of wanting to be known as someone who spills over with joy for Jesus whilst recognizing that she's learning that joy and gratitude is often a choice. I've been challenged to think more deeply about how we choose the things that God offers to us. I hope this episode will also provide you with some food for thought. So Linda, welcome. Thanks, Taryn. Nice to see you after so long. It has been a while. Hey, so Linda, while. I'm going to dive straight into it. Um, you are like many Christians, somebody who grew up in a Christian home, mm-hmm. but you only became a Christian somewhere in your teen years. And I love your story. Can you tell us how it is that you came to trust Jesus? Yeah, so I did have a fabulous, faithful, wonderful Christian family who loved the Bible, loved people. Hospitality was a thing. Mission was a thing. And that was kind of the norm as I was growing up. So I, I don't think I could ever say that there was a time I didn't know God, um, but it probably wasn't until my teen years where I kind of early teens and my parents were, they were on a beach mission team and I was there and one of the campers asked me, so what is a Christian? And it actually kind of startled me a bit because I was, oh gosh, I don't think I even know how to answer that question kind of thing. So that just started a bit of a journey for me of just seeking and asking myself questions I guess getting to the point where I realised my parents' faith wasn't enough, this had to be something in my heart rather than um, just my parents' faith. So that kind of began a journey over my teenage years of being baptised, standing up for my faith at a public high school, running a Christian group, getting involved in a Christian outdoor rec campsite, reading God's word for myself and just growing in that faith and knowledge of Jesus and relationship with Jesus. So that kind of grew through my teenage years, probably had to stand up for my faith quite a lot at a public high school. So that kind of, yeah, just secured it in me a bit, I think. And then I studied, went to uni and studied to be an OT, um, occupational therapist, and eventually worked in a brain injury rehab centre for a number of years. Yeah, and that had its challenges, but its blessings too. And again, being at university as a Christian is another time and space where you learn to grow and to stand up for what you believe in but to have those kind of conversations with people as well probably in my mid-20s I um, decided to embark on a bit of a year-long adventure around the world to visit friends but also to work at Christian summer camps and that was a pretty significant time I guess in growing in my faith I kind of have this distinct memory of walking through the Melbourne International um, 
automatic doors. I don't know if they're still there, but at the time they were. And I kind of said goodbye to my family and friends and walked through these doors and the doors shut behind me. And I was like, oh my gosh, I'm all alone. And I'm a bit of an extrovert. So I'm not often alone. I love people. And here I was standing in Melbourne airport all alone um, and really got a bit panicked. What the heck am I even doing? But I had this actual tangible feeling of just peace from the Holy Spirit and just that reminder of him that you're not alone he was with me and he won't leave me or forsake me like it promises in Joshua so I had that okay me and you Lord we're going to travel the world together and so that's what we did and I, I had a great yeah met lots of friends and had lots of adventures and probably returned from that trip with a very deep trust in the Lord and just a security in knowing his presence and kind of returned with a cute fella that I met in Canada <laughs> that happened to be Australian that um, I ended up marrying six months later. And so marrying Graham was a great, like the two of us sharpen, iron sharpens iron, right? So that's a bit of a step in your spiritual journey too, marrying a guy that you can talk about things of faith with. So that's been a huge blessing. We ended up, he was studying to do medicine um, and had taken a year out of medicine to travel to work out if that's really where the Lord wanted him so we got married and after a few years we traveled to a few different countries in Africa for a medical elective for him to do and we met some amazing people like Taryn um, and Taryn's family and we worked in some rural communities in Tanzania and Zimbabwe and that was probably a really big time or really influential for God to put mission and Africa in our hearts so then we came back to Australia and a few years, three children and a move to Tasmania from Sydney later. We moved again from Tasmania to South Sudan with a mission agency called Pioneers to run a women and children's hospital. Our real heart there was to share with the people of South Sudan about the true healer being Jesus. And we lived there for about five years and then we needed to leave for security reasons. So that's quite a grief, but quite a, that was a very significant time in our journey with the Lord I guess it it was a time that really increased our faith but probably a time that really increased our questions as well and our wrestles there's the real wrestling with suffering and grief and death and risk and hope and culture that all very real wrestles that you just have to deal with kind of thing and it probably shaped us a lot as a family and me as an individual and then after evacuating from South Sudan, we then had to work out what it looked like to live in Australia again and kind of knowing what we then what we now know kind of and seeing what we've seen, how does that actually, how can we live back here knowing that kind of stuff? You can't forget or unsee the things that we saw, good and bad. And so now living in a culture of individualism and excess choice maybe that illusion of control and no need need for God and coming from a place in South Sudan where it's very different to that um, life is short death is a present reality and I guess when we lived there our life had a real tangible purpose so when we came back to Australia we had to really work out what is our purpose and where do we fit here again and I guess I guess my most recent journey after coming back from South Sudan has been a bit of a journey with pain and fatigue and finding joy and contentment with kind of chronic back pain and that fatigue and often getting quite frustrated, being surrounded by so many needs and being limited in what I can do. Mm -hmm. um, and that's been a real growth journey, I think, in oh, confidence 
I guess that the Lord is good, that his plans are perfect and his grace is sufficient. So that's kind of a long answer to a short question. <laughs> there's so much in there and so many things I'd like to like, ask you a little bit more about, tease out a bit. So what I'm struck by when I listen to your story is um, God's hand in everything and right. and the the shaping and the growing that happens not through the easy stuff, but through the hard stuff. So, I mean, going right back to when you were a teenager and you got asked that question at Beach Mission and then making that decision for yourself. Yeah, I'm encouraged to hear how God made you see his truth, but own it for yourself. Because mm-hmm. I think there's so many young people who grew up in Christian families who, you know, it's just around them, but the culture is also around them. And it often is that the culture becomes their, their God. Um, so mm-hmm. I'm encouraged that... God kept you and grew you also like with your family, obviously, but independently there, there too. But I wanted to ask you going to South Sudan, dramatically different culture. What were some of the things that really stands out for you from your time there? Oh, like God is the same um, in Australia and in South Sudan. His goodness is good <laughs> here as well as there. I think as, as well as there's things that are the same, how radically different our lives are here as opposed to there. And like I often get convicted now about the things that I worry about or the things that I put my time and energy into, just think how different that is to life in South Sudan. We often laugh about, oh, first world problem kind of stuff, but it actually really is very true. So one thing that really jumped out at me when we were living in South Sudan, so the context was, um, we took a trampoline over with us because we took a shipping container with a solar power system. And so we were able to put a few, like the kids' bikes and a trampoline in and a few things like that. And so we had a trampoline there and the day before my two boys had been jumping and one of them had fallen and kind of split his eye open on the trampoline. And thankfully we are at the hospital and like we lived at a hospital, so Grant was able to stitch him up and whatever. But it could have been kind of a bad injury. And then that night I was, we were asleep I don't often wake up in the middle of the night, but I kind of woke up in the middle of the night and went to the bathroom and there was a snake in the corner of our bathroom. And again, I was like, huh, well, wasn't glad I found it, but kind of glad I found it and it didn't disappear somewhere else. And um, so Graham got up and dealt with the snake and whatever, but just this, a few different things happened one after the other that made me go, actually, we're not in control of our life at all. This is, we are all at the mercy of the Lord and how amazing that he is good and he knows what is best and so that snake we could have all kept slipping slipping through it and that snake could have gone wherever it went in the house and you know you hate to think what happens right but just these little things that God is good and he's above all these things and he has these things in his hands and we're at his mercy and he's good and he's gracious there's there's a lot of inequality in our world and I think and a lot of suffering there's a lot of suffering here right but there's also a lot of suffering over there and a lot of injustice and so I wrestle with that kind of stuff um and where what's our role in it so um just so that the listeners have a bit of a better picture about what it was that um you guys did in South Sudan could you maybe take us through what a day in the life of the pool family was like in South Sudan and for the people around you and who who were the people you were engaging with and what was the work that that Graham was doing and you were doing Right, so we lived on a compound that had a, um, a school and an orphanage for 160 um, and a vocational training centre and a church and a whole lot of houses for missionaries. So we were part of a 
pioneers team on at the hospital, um, which was a fabulous team that we were super thankful for. We laughed a lot and we cried a lot together. And that was a real gift from God. Um, so we had a women and children's hospital that started just before we got there with the purpose being look at all these orphans from the war and from all sorts of stuff that had happened in South Sudan's quite tragic history. What's one way that we can prevent orphans? And the kind of thinking was we need to keep mums alive in childbirth and pregnancy because over there it's one of the most dangerous countries in the world to be pregnant or or have a baby. You're more likely to die in childbirth than finish school. And so there's really tragic statistics about how many women die in pregnancy and childbirth and often from quite preventable things. And so that was why the hospital got started in a way is how do we keep mums alive to prevent orphans? Because often mums have lots and lots of kids. And so when they, if they do die in pregnancy or childbirth, then there's a whole lot of kids left without a mum. And over there, mums are a really important part or everywhere. Mums are a really important part of kids' lives. So that's how the hospital started with the kind of view of how do we present Jesus as a true healer and as the one who gives life. There's a verse in Proverbs chapter three that says, do not withhold good from those to whom it's due when it's in your power to act. And that was a real uh, conviction for Graham and I, particularly Graham who had the medical training and the OBS and gynae training. He could actually, there was power in his hands to do good. So a day in the life of, we would we homeschooled over there because there wasn't really a school for our kids to go to. So our kind of day would start by, we would do devotions as a family and then Graham would duck down to the hospital, which was literally 15 metres from our house. We'd often have one of the missionary nurses come and join us for devotions and have our coffee. And then he would head down to hospital and do his day at hospital and we would do a bit of homeschooling. And we'd do some language. We were trying to learn Juba Arabic, so we'd do a language lesson. I'd like to say every day, but that didn't happen every day. That was hard. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but we that was important for us to learn the local language and sometimes we would after school we would the kind of afternoon was free so the kids would be off playing soccer or in the teak forest or who knows where they were with the other missionary kids kind of around the compound and my daughter and I would go down to the hospital often and either hang out with the cooks and cleaners or go and there's a we had a malnutrition ward that was a pretty sad place too where a lot of babies that and kids that were just malnourished would come to um, be nourished and um, so we would do a bit of play therapy with kids down there or there was a beautiful missionary team so we'd spend a bit of time with them or else we'd go to the market which was always a bit of a challenge but it was good as the more language I learned the better it was and so we could you know go and buy the food that we needed and that kind of stuff so it wasn't really a traditional day we used to laugh when we first got there we didn't have many staff at the hospital and so Graham and I would often have date night in the operating theatre because <laughs> he was <laughs> C-section or whatever and he'd need extra hands, so I'd go and give him a hand over there. But um, the longer we were there, the more staff we were able to train up and local kind of South Sudanese nurses and clinical officers and doctors. And, and so that made the, the jobs that had to be done are much more manageable and much better because we were training locals to do it rather than us doing it, which is a yeah. much better way to do it. Yeah. I don't know. That's kind of a day. There wasn't really a day in the life of. I spent yeah. lots of time at immigration, getting visas, or out at the airstrip picking things up or people up. And you were evacuated after about five years. Do you want to tell us a little bit more about that? So we evacuated first. Well, I'm not really good with dates, but initially, probably after two years, there was a, a coup with the government, and so um, for lots of different reasons, we evacuated our team. Um, we, we relied pretty heavily on our local bishop who was 
an amazing man, amazing godly man, and he um, had lots of connections. So if he said it's time to go, we would go um, with the Holy Spirit's prompting too, of course. But So we evacuated initially because of a coup, and that happened to fit into when our family was going on home assignment anyway. So we came back to Australia for a, a couple of months um, and then ended up going back. And then another couple of, uh, so in 2000, maybe 15, things got quite bad. I think probably still as a result of the coup, but it was just simmering along for years. And so the two main tribal groups in South Sudan really struggled to get on. So it kind of got to the point where our town was being sieged. So there was no food being able to come in or out and it was just getting more and more dicey and so yeah it was a pretty gut-wrenching decision actually in the end we were going to market but because we had us dollars we could buy food but that meant locals weren't getting food and all that kind of stuff so we were thinking ah oh, we're actually draining the food and the resources that need to go to locals so that we would hear lots of gunfire at night and all that sort of thing so I'm trying to remember actually because it was a while ago now but um Graham was part of the security team we relied pretty heavily on our staff and their opinions and not opinions but the things that they were seeing and so often they would call us and Mama Linda don't go to town today the bank is not open it is not good and so we would have lots of local advice but um in the end we decided we needed to get our staff out because a lot of them were in danger and we needed to get all of the missionary stuff out and because we had a decent sized team you couldn't just do that quickly like we had a lot we had to get a plane in and then we had to drive across town past the army barracks and so you had to make that decision before it was too late if that made sense so anyway it was a bit of a gut-wrenching time and we pretty much Graham and I were thinking if we go now we probably won't come back um and there's sorry oh my gosh And then there's that burden too of all these C-sections that had been scheduled in, but knowing if we go, these C-sections won't happen. And we're not the saviours, we know that, but we're the way at the time that the Lord would use. So I don't know, we had to leave those lives in his hands as well. And it was was hard. It was a hard decision to leave. Yeah, and obviously (laughs) still causes grief. Um, And leaving people that you love. We loved our people there we loved them they were our family and it was really hard but God loves them more than we do right and he's got them in his hands so we need to trust that do you hear from them a lot of our clinical staff we hear from every now and then we hear from some of the kids that our friends were kids with at the orphanage as they are older now they've all got their phones and they're on Facebook and messenger and all that sort of stuff so we can be in touch with them And we do hear, we still have a few friends that are missionaries now in northern Uganda, like a lot of our team evacuated to northern Uganda. And so every now and then they go back into where we were to just say hi and check out what's going on. And so they send photos and greetings and that sort of stuff. And we had one lady that she was our language helper and she was an amazing, godly, faithful woman, sacrificial woman. She was amazing. We lost touch with her when we left and we hadn't, we didn't hear she went to the village, which is what often the people would do, would go to the village. They'd get out of the towns and go to where their kind of clan is in the village because that was safer. Um, and so we lost touch with Kajia for a lot of years and probably a year ago, maybe two years ago, one of our friends that's still a missionary there sent a photo of, hey, look who I found today in town. And 
um, she'd met up with Kajir and Kajir had gone to, t- gone to the village and started running Sunday schools and started caring for mm-hmm. women, moved to another village and started running, you know, she was amazing. Again, we, we talk about first world problems and we, <laughs> I complain and whinge and I go, oh, look at this woman. She's, yeah, it's a bit of perspective for me a lot. So, yeah, there's been lots of little joys along the way as we get photos. There was one lady that had triplets at our hospital and she was kind of the first one, first set of triplets that were delivered and survived at the hospital and we someone sent a photo of her in a refugee camp in Uganda a couple of years later with her three little kids and that was really cool so there's lots of little joys too like that that you go every little baby that was born at the hospital I used to think like if they had been born out in the community they probably would not have survived but because they came to hospital and their life was saved we used to just go oh I wonder what God's going to do with this life like Mm. exciting I I wish we could have like put a little tattoo on their ear (laughs) so the new president I don't know this is a life that God's got his mark on so yeah 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 so I mean they will know their stories so one day we might hear that you know the future president might say oh I was born in a little hospital on a missionary base and yeah yo yeah yeah what would you encourage people to pray for when they're thinking about South Sudan and your story peace always forgiveness and reconciliation um god-fearing leaders that people will look to the lord in their distress and he will rescue for the there's little churches little bush churches and faithful christian men who are pastoring these churches and they work hard often through the week and then pastor the churches on the weekends so just that I think I think one of the challenges potentially in a lot of countries in Africa is the gospel like people know and will call out the name of Jesus but maybe the depth of relationship or the discipleship there's often so I guess praying for discipleship to happen so it's not church on Sunday which doctor on Monday but kind of that like I say I don't mean that to sound trite like um but just that people will actually understand that saying yes to Jesus means saying no to these things that are so part of their life, if that makes sense. And families, like, like I love to pray that families are a place of safety and, um, again, discipleship for them to see a godly mum and a godly dad. And there's not always mums and dads. There's so many people die so young there and um, people like dads particularly have to go away to work and that sort of thing. So just that yeah kids are discipled at, at the moment the kids can even get to school is a big deal and yeah. there's so many things to pray. so mm. you came back to australia and that must have been quite a culture shock i mean you even mentioned it was it was quite something to think about how you do life again having experienced everything in south sudan can you tell me a little bit more about how that adjustment went and what's helped you through that it was hard. We had the blessing of being able to come back on home assignment a couple of times during our time living in South Sudan. And so that meant we weren't, like coming back to Australia wasn't complete culture shock every time. And certainly for our kids, it wasn't like, what is this Australia place? Like they kind of had been here kind of every 18 months, they'd been back for a little bit. But I think one thing I particularly found hard, I've got a really high value on inclusion and both being included myself and including people. Um, and so I've part of living in South Sudan was Graham and I doing ministry together um, and me being as much as I wasn't doing the doctoring, I was kind of very much part of the day to day. Whereas we came back here and 
that changed. I wasn't part of his, or like he would go out to work kind of thing. And I think that was a bit of a challenge. I think initially too, the challenge was living in South Sudan. We had this very um, tangible purpose in a way of healthcare for mums and babies and keeping, letting God use us to save lives. And that was very tangible, right? And quite an exciting, if you want to put it, that sounds weird, like exciting purpose or a purposeful purpose, if that makes sense. You can actually come home from a day and go, huh, there was lives saved today. Wow, that's cool. How good is God? So I think we struggled just with the oh, what are we supposed to do here now? Like a lot of our day isn't that exciting. <laughs> it's not um, as life-changing necessarily. So it took us a while to kind of find our feet a bit and think what is our purpose? And our pers- purpose hasn't changed really. Like the purpose is to give thanks and glorify God in all that we do. But I guess it was probably a little bit easier to know how to do that in South Sudan. Whereas mm-hmm. here it took a little bit more of us working out what that looks like. And I think we had to come back and set back up a house that we like we had sold and sold everything pretty much or taken everything in the shipping container that we needed and everything else we had sold and so we came back and we had to buy even just buying mattresses and they're like thousands and you just go oh like buying a fridge for whatever I don't even know how much fridge is now but like a thousand dollars for a fridge and I'm like can you imagine how much a thousand dollars would buy in South Sudan and so I really wrestled with every every dollar I spent almost I was like oh <laughs> like it was really hard to spend what seemed like a lot of money that could have done a lot of good over there too but then you can't live like that I think that's the thing that I find hard is you actually can't live I find that a really hard balance is how do I live here knowing what I know if that makes sense you know like Mm -hmm. having that integrity of I don't want to compartmentalize and say right that was then this is now I actually want that to shape me now so I still I think I wrestle with that all the time I think gratitude is something that I want to keep getting better at and that has helped like just that how do we give thanks in the hard times and the easy times in like Paul talks about contentment and how to um, be content when we have plenty and when we don't have much how do we cultivate that thankfulness and contentment I think is a big challenge but has helped I think us as a family I think we came back and because we had faced a lot of stuff together that glued us together a bit as a family too so I think we quite enjoy well, here I'm speaking to my kids. I think enjoy hanging out with us. Um, we like spending time together. We like doing things together. And there's certainly a lot of shared trauma and sadness, but also laughter and stories and memories that yeah we often talk about. So, so you are involved in ministry now as well. What's what ministry are you involved in right now? I think my biggest ministry is my kids. Um, I think just being a a mum that is present and is available to listen I guess and to have fun we always laugh with my friends about have you been a fun mum today I'm like oh gosh I think I'm very good at being a fun mum but um, I want to be a fun mum I want to be a, a mum that the kids want to be around not friend like I want to be able to point them to Jesus and have those kind of conversations so I think that's probably a big big part of my ministry is just having the presence and the time for my kids I work um, for Pioneers now, two days a week doing member care and development in a member care and development role. So I look after missionaries like us um, who are in sub-Saharan Africa and Australian-based ministries. So I do a lot of walking the journey and hopefully encouraging people and pointing them to Jesus now. I really enjoy that. I kind of laugh and think Jesus, people, mission, they're my three passions. And I get to do that from home a couple of days a week. And that's my job. I love that. What a privilege. So I love that. 
I think part of that too is keeping global mission on people's agenda. And uh, like I see that as a bit of a passion of mine too of, hey, the job's not done. Like there's still so many people across the world that have not even heard the name of Jesus and we, the job's not done. We can't, Mm. you know, even, you know, thinking, right, okay, God, what's next for us? Right now we feel like it's here in Launceston, but, you know, that's, I'm kind of here until God says go to the next place. So and so I'm always trying to encourage just what's what's God asking of you? Is it to love your neighbor or is it to think about going overseas? Or is it like there's yeah, there's just so many opportunities to serve the Lord. And is it cross-cultural mission? Is it yeah, don't let's not get complacent, let's keep busy. I think prayer is another big thing that I'm big on. I think I've said how I struggle with pain and fatigue. So that's one thing I can do <laughs> is pray. Um, and I as much as I'm distractible and I would love to be a better prayer, is that a thing, a better prayer? I think, yeah, I love to pray with people and for people and I think prayer changes things and um, what a privilege to be able to talk to our creator and our father and our king. So, yeah, I love to pray. Yeah, what do you, what do you do- feel you've learned through? Because, I mean, we I did want to ask you a little bit more about the pain that you've been experiencing. Like, how long has this been going on and what are you learning through it? If, I don't know if that's a weird thing to say. What are you learning for, through it? But, yeah, what are you learning through it? Yeah, so it's been going on for a couple of years. I'm learning that God is good, that he gives us all that we need to do what he's asking us to do each day. I'm learning that it's not easy. Life is not easy and it's kind of not necessarily supposed to be in all the struggles the Lord is near. I'm learning to choose thankfulness and gratefulness and gratitude. I'd, I'd love to be a person that people see joy and contentment oozing out of. I'm not sure I'm quite there yet, but I, yeah, gratitude. Like I'd, I'm learning that that's a, a lot of that is choice. Like there's a song, is it a king and country song that, and they sing I choose joy? And I'm like, that's what I want to do. I want to choose joy. There's so many passages in scripture that say, rejoice always, pray continually, be thankful, be thankful, be thankful. And I just think, oh, that's it. Like we, there's so much to be thankful for. So I'm learning to pray um, and I'm learning to pour my heart out to the Lord and I'm learning that he listens, but that he's not necessarily, he can take it away, but that's not necessarily his plan for today. And that's okay. It is okay, right? Like I, yeah. I would love yeah. to be able to get to that point of saying, okay, Lord, well, I promise, uh, like you promised to give me what I need. So game on, let's do it. And so. And what you need could well be a miracle of recovery, um, right. but what you need is to be more like Christ. It might right. be through the vehicle of a miraculous recovery. It might be through the vehicle of pain wherever I'm in. Exactly. Much more daunting, but as you say, God is in control. And I really, really resonate with what you said about a choice choosing to, to yeah i always come back to colin buchanan's songs um yes. practice being godly to actually do the job of being who we are by practicing who we are and so easy to do that when life is easy but when life is hard to be gracious to be kind to be all those things um you know not get cranky with our kids because we're in pain much harder yep and i think I'm, the other thing i'm learning is that i'm not created to be alone like i'm like we're, we're created for community is what I mean. So I actually need people and I need my friends. I need them to speak truth and encourage me and to point me to Jesus. I need my husband to point me to Jesus and encourage me and speak truth. And I think we need each other to do that. Um, for people to be able to say, oh, Linda, I think you're wallowing in a little bit of self-pity right now. Oh, that's right. Yes, I am. Thank you. You know, like we need to 
have those people in our lives, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Jesus didn't live a life of no pain. <laughs> like, you know, there was so much physical pain in his life as well as the grief of living in the world, I think. And so I can't imagine we're supposed to live without pain yeah. either. Yeah. No, absolutely. I imagine, well, my experience is everything that you've been talking about is so important, but it's been so much harder during COVID. And, yeah. you know, you don't get to see people incidentally. You're often stuck at home. And I don't know, do you find that it's been harder to reach out um, to others or what has your experience been? Through COVID? Through COVID in terms of that kind of community and that kind of accountability that you're talking about. Um, I must admit in Tassie we've been, we've come through COVID quite well so far, which has been good. We had a little bit of a lockdown last year and the thing I found was in order to see people we had to exercise. <laughs> so I would go for three or four walks a day with different people. I'm like, oh my word, I've never got up so many steps in my whole life. And But in a way that was good because we would talk in, like we would walk and talk. And so, um, but I had to be more intentional. I was really conscious that oh, normally I would walk down to school and I would see lots of different people. And I'm a, I'm a bit of an empath, right? Like I, I can recognize when people are not doing okay and so I would touch base with lots of people all at once and go right there's a few people to follow up and that was a lot of incidental stuff that you didn't get when we we're in lockdown and so it was like oh I don't actually know how all those people that I would normally touch base with are and so it just meant I had to be more intentional and I had to send a lot more text messages and yeah. have a lot more phone calls and that kind of stuff which I found exhausting just for that very short time that we had those restrictions so I can't imagine how it feels for people on the mainland at the moment who are yeah. doing that long term that's hard work maybe it's good that we're intentionally thinking about relationships too as opposed to yeah I don't know yeah I think so <laughs> you spoke about um, the importance of sabbath and solitude and silence as something that's quite important to you big on your radar at the moment Do you want to unpack that for me oh yeah that again that's not something I'm great at as a extrovert I love and I'm an external processor too so I love being around people love being with people I, I talk to process one thing I've been studying we've been studying in our small group has been how to quiet our noisy souls and I've been doing reading a lot of books God's amazing at how when he wants something on your radar and on your agenda there's so many different sources that that prompt comes from right so yeah I was I was reading a book about ordering your private world which made me I think it's Gordon McDonald and he was talking a lot about how do you expect to hear from the Lord if your head's you know full of thoughts and and all jumbled we unpacked a bit of quieting a noisy soul which is a, a course by a guy called Jim Berg with our small group and I was reading another book by um is it Rose Haley Barton and so all of those things were kind of all coming together to help me think about Sabbath and how Sabbath is a gift from the Lord. We're not meant to run 100 miles an hour 24-7 like we're meant to. And part of it is a, a rebuke or a challenge for us to go, actually, the world doesn't depend on me. I can stop. And this is a beautiful gift from the Lord. And actually, I need the refreshment and the refilling in order to go back out into my week. Yeah, so like there's a number of passages in Scripture that I totally love that talk about peace and rest and so Isaiah 26 talks about he will keep in perfect peace 
those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in him. I love that kind of picture of perfect peace, that kind of peace in the storm. Like, I don't know, as a mum, there's lots of stuff going on all the time. How do we keep that peace in the so-called storm? But I can't do that out of my own strength. That has to come from time with the Lord and time alone with him, unpacking all the stuff that's going on in my head so that he can be present and my I like I would love my thoughts to be his thoughts and all that kind of stuff and my words to be the words from him and like John 15 has been another one that we've been really thinking through and and that whole concept of what does it mean to abide in there it talks about apart from me you can do nothing Jesus said and I'm like yeah that's actually the crux of it like apart from we, we need to be attached to the vine to do anything of value kind of stuff and so just that whole how do I retreat um, and have that silence and solitude just to connect with my Lord <laughs> we're really big on wanting to participate in what he's doing through us in the world what's going on in different people's lives how do we just participate in what he's doing but um, I kind of think oh if I'm not spending time with him, how would I have a clue what he's mm. doing? So that sounds a little super spiritual. That's not me at all because I don't do that very well. But that's my challenge at the moment is how do I? So what our morning routine looks like at the moment is we try and get up at six and Graham and I have an hour with the Lord and then we have half an hour walk together with the dog because the dog needs our attention. And so it's kind of connect with the Lord, connect with each other, and then we can kind of do our day. And that's been working for us for the last little while. So it's harder in the winter. In Tassie, it's pretty dark Ooh. mornings and cold. Yeah, so walking is, we can do that, but it's that time to get up and be with the Lord, I find harder to do in the winter, but um, that's been our challenge because I think yeah. it's important. And just a beautiful example to your children as well. That was what, what from my parents is every morning they would be up um, reading their Bible together before we all got up, kind of that something. And they still do. That's what they do over breakfast. It's beautiful. I was just going to say, those are the kind of things that I often read in biographies and, you know, people who've, who generations long Christians who speak to the example of their parents, um, just that consistent, persistent year in, year out. Yeah. I really admire that. And I do struggle with starting, you know, a particular practice and then sticking with it. My personal devotion is all over the place because I struggle. And the only time I feel like I've ever got anything right is with the children. You know, we start our school day with a Bible time and it's only really in the last couple of years that I've really felt that we've been more consistent and you know, it's more part of the rhythm of life. I've been listening to a lot of uh, Elizabeth Elliot's old talks. She was speaking about Jim Elliot and how he at Bible college would make himself get up really, really early to be able to build in the discipline so that they would become a part of the rhythm of his life. So he was really, really self-disciplined because he knew he wasn't naturally self-disciplined. And I mm. just thought that's, a great example and it's the choice thing that you were talking about it's choosing yeah. to do these things that mm. can become the rhythm of our lives and you know kind of offering ourselves as a vessel for god to use in the way that you're talking about just now about participating and being a part of what god is doing and, and being aware of that being aware of how he can use us and opening ourselves up to him to use us an aspect of that is being disciplined so thank you yeah. for sharing your discipline i haven't got an answer on this yet but where the um the strivings like when do we where's the line where does it cross over right and when am I striving and being legalistic and have to do this as opposed to you're free yeah nothing you do makes God love you anymore so you're free but when am I str I don't know I don't know like there's this I don't know where I come to on it but anyway totally totally and there'll be you know there'll be a season in life where I'm like oh I'm free 
And then I get lax about things. And then I'll, you know, read something or listen to something. Like, no, 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 I need to be much more disciplined. So, you know, get into it. And uh, there is a beautiful overlap. And thankfully, it's not up to us because God has right. saved us through Jesus. We don't have to do to be saved. Yeah. And he keeps us. Like, that's one thing we were talking about when we were talking about abiding in John 15 is he's the one that keeps us. Like, we're not doing anything to be kept. He's the one that keeps us. Uh, yeah I don't know yeah so for me one of the things is that it becomes legalistic when we feel that way we start to trust in that to save us and or to give us virtue or you know be a good Christian yeah super spiritual all that kind of stuff and I was thinking about this this very thing actually with in terms of spending time with the children and in the bible in the mornings and you know because yeah that you know it was like your mum and sometimes those times can just be rough and it just feels like we're ticking something, you know, we're ticking a box, but not actually really connecting. And, but then I've realized that pushing through those days and just keeping the rhythm allows for the better days and it allows for growth. And when you look over the stretch of time, like my memory of it, of all those mornings, isn't the bad mornings, it's the overarching stuff and what we've managed to cover and what we've managed to learn and just the, the really good connections with each other and with the word and all of that. And I go, actually, God's using that. Yeah, I think you're right. I think the challenge comes when it becomes that transactional thing. Yeah. Oh, I really need you today, God, so I better spend time in the word this morning. You know, like that's or we want something from you. So therefore, we'll, where we get that kind of mindset, that's when I think we lose what it's all about. But you're right. I think that the habit's pushing through sometimes, even when like, I often get up and feel like my time in the morning with the Lord is like, oh, is this just a waste of time? Like I'm kind of, I'm not focused. I'm all over the shop, but I, it's not. Like I think part of the God, I'm here. I, like I'm here and I, I want to be with you. And I'm going to push through my, my blur days to. Yeah. So you've mentioned John 15 a couple of times. Um, do you have any other verses that are particularly ones that resonate at this time? There's so many, isn't there, right? But I think right at this moment, Psalm 34 um, is a bit of a, is a clanger for me. I just love it. I just, there's so much about God's goodness and his protection and his provision. And yeah, it's, I love it. And let's glorify the Lord together. I love it. So it's Psalm 34, and I'll read 1 to 10. I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. I will glorify in the Lord. Let the afflicted hear and rejoice. Glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. This poor man called. And the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and he delivers them. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. Fear the Lord, you holy people, for those who fear him lack nothing. And the lions may grow weak and hungry, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Mm, I love it. So much about the Lord delivering. I feel quite afflicted sometimes. I feel like the poor man. <laughs> and he saves us out of all our troubles he delivers and I think I love the concept of come on let's get together and glorify the Lord together come glorify him with me come here come on <laughs> I love that let's do this together because this is we have so much to thank him for we have so much to praise him for he is worthy yeah. so yeah I love it 
Linda, it's been awesome chatting with you and it's just lovely to hear somebody else who verbally processes out there. <laughs> I know, give me some grace when you're listening, people. <laughs> yeah, it's been a privilege and I think I'm very ordinary and so it's hopefully there's other ordinary people listening that can get some encouragement from the goodness of the Lord. Yeah, well, our, our tagline is ordinary woman who serve an extraordinary God. We hope you enjoyed listening to this episode of The Lydia Project. We would love you to share this episode with others, whether that be by word of mouth, social media, or leaving a review on iTunes. You can find us on most platforms using the handle at TLPCWCW. Music is Wholesome 7 by Dave Depper, and voiceover is by me, Jennifer Mary. 